Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, somebody I've listened to a number of times about his research into what we call the Las Vegas Massacre. I believe it was 2017, back uh, six years ago. It's hard to believe. One of the biggest shootings, if not the biggest shooting in the uh, United States history. And uh, his name, I am John Cullen. You can see the, the YouTube channel here if you're watching on YouTube. Or Rockfin. I don't know how long this will stay up on YouTube. My uh, my history with YouTube is not great. I have my channel. This is my second channel, which I can get on my primary channel. I can't get onto. But uh, anyway, I've been following him on Twitter as well, and I listened to him on Tommy's podcast. And Tommy was the one who gave me his uh, email address, so I'm delighted to have him. So, John Colin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I appreciate Excellent. You. Excellent. Cool. So for people who may not have heard you, your research, maybe you could do just a simple overview of your background and how you got interested in Las Vegas and then leading kind of up to the things going on today with uh, COVID. Sure. So uh, back in 2017, when the Las Vegas shooting took place, I was living overseas. I was living in Thailand. And um, because of the time zone differences and what have you, when the shooting took place in Las Vegas, it was midday where I was living in Thailand. It was noon. And I was in my office and Drudge Report, Facebook, and Twitter started lighting up with mass shooting in Las Vegas, mass shooting. And so I'm basically watching it unfold in real time. And you know, in Vegas by midnight, one o'clock in the morning, uh, for me, it was 2 p.m., 3 p.m. So I'm watching the whole thing unfold and watching Joe Lombardo and all that. And I got into shooting after the September 11th attacks. So after September 11th, I went out and bought a couple of rifles and learned how to shoot, took lessons, that kind of stuff. And when I moved to California, I took lessons out there. And I just knew enough about shooting and what I was listening to and what I was seeing in these video clips that people were shooting that my cognitive dissonance was triggered. In other words, what, what Joe Lombardo was saying and what I was seeing, I, I couldn't understand it. I was like, how do you guys get up on the roofs of all those hotels so quick? It's like, you know, it's one guy. You went, you got up on the roof of the Excalibur and the Tropicana and you got up to the top of the Luxor and the top of the Mia. How do you guys do that in an hour and a half? I was stunned. I was like, how do you know this already? <clears throat> that prompted me to look at the footage and I did it um, somewhat obsessively. I have uh, Asperger's, but I consider it an advantage, right? So it allows me to go into a mode that most people get freaked out by, um, but basically working 20 hours a day, sleeping for four. And I did that for 10 days straight. I got a cot and a sleeping bag. I hired a plumber to put a shower in the bathroom in my office. And I didn't leave. I had a wife and three kids at home. And for 10 days, I stayed there. Right, and there's a lot of like just different stories coming out. I actually it was my first experience with censorship because uh, it was October 1st, 2017. It was the first time some of my videos were taken off of YouTube. I was like, why are you guys taking this off? Because I was looking into it too. Super suspicious. 
didn't make a lot of sense even at the outset of what was going on people not moving and people running in weird directions people running towards the shooting just a lot of craziness and a lot of different stories coming right right from the beginning right and in fact i don't know if you're familiar with zach Voorhees. uh he's the google whistleblower that came forward with all the documents and said hey what's with these blacklists of uh search terms and what have you and he was a guest on my podcast so i have a channel on youtube and the name of my channel is is sort of an homage and a dig and a joke all at once again that's the asperger's kicking in so the name of the channel is johnny hoover j edgar hoover's real name is john john edgar hoover so i named the channel after the fbi building so that when i move in we don't have to change the sign a whole lot right because these guys are moving out and they're building a new thing the size of the pentagon or something like that so i'm going to move in and this way we don't have to change the signage a whole lot so my name is john cullen and i started investigating this las vegas shooting the day of but it took me a week to see something that was just uh, gave me goosebumps got me upset you know physically upset and what i saw was a helicopter flying the wrong way you see the tour helicopters in las vegas have to fly a certain direction they have to maintain 90 miles an hour they have to be 500 feet above the hard deck and this helicopter was flying the wrong direction i was like what what the hell is that doing what's that and the next day day eight i saw a second one and so i developed a straw man hypothesis that this was an aerial attack i had no idea who would have been behind it but one of the things i said was kind of hard for me to believe all this deep state false flag stuff it's like come on these guys if you signed up and took an oath and you trained in quantico don't tell me you got in a helicopter and went and shot women in the head i don't buy it i don't believe that i don't think american guys did this so i started to look at who were sort of you know who were the the typical suspects right if some some something horrible were to happen who's on our short list right it's not iceland right iceland's not on the short list right so we can kind of rule them out right and so on and so forth and it turns out that i located um in news stories that we were building and selling and training the saudi arabian national guard uh in helicopters so basically boeing did a deal with saudi arabia to sell them apaches uh ah6i little birds what have you and they're building them in uh mesa arizona wow that's already in real, but that was a huge thing during the trump administration if you remember they were bragging about all these military sales to saudi oh arabia is a huge thing it was like 100 billion dollars or something crazy like that in fact at the time during the trump administration saudi arabia's uh military spending eclipsed russia's so they became the second or third largest buyer of military or you know their their budget was massive and mbs really loaded up during the trump administration that's pretty well documented 
But they had these aircraft that they were using as trainers on the ground in Mesa, Arizona at, at Boeing. And it turns out there's a group at the U.S. Army <clears throat> out of the, what is it, Redstone Arsenal, uh, called the Saudi Arabian National Guard Office of Program Management. And there were 240 people working in that U.S. Army group to train the Saudi Arabian National Guard in how to fly AH-6Is and Apaches and Blackhawks. Wow. Okay. All right. So uh, the helicopters are about 250, 275 miles away as the crow flies from Las Vegas. Uh, there's a, 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 a significant small town as the crow flies in King, I think it's called Kingman or Kingston, Kingman, Arizona. And so if you needed to refuel, you could do that there on the way en route. Um, it, it, in other words, it's not that complicated to get from the Boeing plant to the venue. It's kind of a you know beeline and it's about the range of the helicopter. So you do need to refuel at some point. But the net of it is we see them. They're on camera. They're on police camera, you know, LVMPD uh, body cam footage and all that stuff. And they're not on flight radar. So that's the thing that was odd. Every time we see them on the camera, we see it flying by the hotel, we see it going the wrong way. I go and check flight radar for that time of day, 10.07, 10.09 p.m., whatever it was. And it wasn't on flight radar, meaning that aircraft doesn't have its ADS-B transponder turned on. Well, the only people who do that are bad guys. You don't fly around in an airport without your transponder on. And they didn't have their nav lights on. They didn't. And they only turned their anti-collision lights on briefly, or they turned on interior lights so they wouldn't crash into each other. These guys were dark. Very hard to see, but we see some muzzle flash coming from them. And then the, the real kicker was when we got the body cam footage from uh, Josh Bitsko. That's the body cam footage where the camera's kind of looking up the guy's nose. And he's the only guy, he's the only guy who's in the room that we see body cam footage from. So we see his body cam footage. They're walking around, blah, 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 blah. They're talking. Stephen Paddock's dead on the floor. And Officer Brett Brosnahan goes to the window and pulls the curtain back, and the window's not broken. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. What the hell's going on here? And it turns out the New York Times puts together one of their video montages. And they cut that out. And then the Associated Press put together a video montage. And they cut that out. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The New York Times and the Associated Press are editing out the same exact 17 seconds of footage? I don't know how you spell cover-up. But when the Associated Press and the New York Times are editing out the same 17 seconds of LVMPD body cam footage, I got to throw the yellow flag. Right. Yeah. All right. It's super suspicious. Yeah. People remember, <clears throat> I mean, it's been six years, but there were all those press conferences, Lombardo, and everything. Mm -hmm. There were so many questions. They were clearly controlling information and just mm -hmm. kind of spitting it out. And there was very suspicious behavior by the well, LVPD. Yeah. One of the things you can do on that channel is you can sort by oldest first. And if you sort by oldest first, those are going to be all the <clears throat> Las Vegas shooting videos. 
And you guys, there's playlists. So if you guys want to know about means, motive, and opportunity, there's a playlist about who had the means, the motive, and the opportunity. If you want to see playlists about, uh, you know, show me where there were helicopters, right? There's a whole playlist on helicopters. If you didn't know that there was something going on down at the runway, right? So runway 19R had a whole thing going on that most people don't know about. Most people don't know that there were three women checked into the room with Stephen Paddock. Laura, Katie, and Joanne. Their last names have been redacted by the LVMPD, but that's in one of the videos that they released. So in other words, this isn't conspiracy stuff. This is on LVMPD body cam footage. They're in the security room. It says we got three women checked into the room with Stephen Paddock. Joanne. Katie and Laura. And they say the last names, but the LVMPD redacted it. So it's like they released it. But the FBI covered that up. You didn't hear that. Has anybody heard this? Have you heard that there were three women checked in to the room with him? No, not me. I remember that the there was a receipt for food that indicated somebody else was with him. I remember that. Right. I mean, it was a lot. <clears throat> right. so that was Laura Loomer got the receipt from somebody locally. So she got that. And that's, you know, that would give you an indication that he's not alone. So who's, who's he eating with? Well, it turns out not only was he not alone, he had three women in there, not one, not two, three, one guy, three women in the room, but you never heard that from the LVMPD. You never heard that from the FBI. Right. And why would they not tell you again? So when the, 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 importance of the window not being broken in the room is how do you shoot everybody at the festival if the window's not broken right the, no way. The, the windows don't open right so the windows in las vegas don't open so you have to break the window to shoot out of it what makes it tricky is the little room next to him the window was broken and there were shots taken but the lvmpd tells us there was only eight shots taken from the room and that they were all at the fuel tanks Two hit, six missed, but none of them hit people. So they don't say, and one of them hit, you know, Melissa Ramirez and killed her. They don't say that. Right. And there were what, 50 deaths, 500 injuries? Is that right? Something so, the, so at the event, there were 59 people shot and killed. There were 413 shot and wounded. Two of the people that were shot and wounded end up succumbing to their injuries in the two or three years afterwards. So All right, so Kim Gervais, Kim, Kim Gervais was uh, uh, a quadriplegic for about two and a half years and then died. So you talk about suffering. I mean, this is yeah, incredible. Horrifying. Yeah. Horrible. And for people don't know, don't know the layout, Mandalay Bay, across from Mandalay Bay is the, the festival. And then literally right there is the airport. And that part of the airport is actually kind of a hangar for helicopters that i think if i remember correctly they're going out to grand canyon all day long cycling through so there's a lot and at at this time of night they do a trip they call city lights the city lights tour at the time the two big players were sundance and maverick i think sundance is out of business now but sundance and maverick were the two big players we see sundance in other words you see them on the on the flight radar Right. So you see Sundance take off. You see him come around. You watching the fight radar. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see him. 
And you see them in the footage that people were shooting. So you see, oh yeah, look, it, you see it on flight radar and you see it over the Excalibur. All right, so that's what we're looking for, that triangulation, right? But then you see these other aircraft and they're not on the flight radar and they're going the wrong way. And you're like, whoa, 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 what's that all about? So you guys can explore all that on the Johnny Hoover channel. And I suggest you sort by oldest videos first and look at the the material from you know 2017, 2018, right after the shooting. Um, the videos where I got a fair amount of stuff wrong, I took those down. Because I didn't want to be publishing misinformation or you know half-truths or whatever. So um, the ones that are still there are really relevant. So if you're interested in the Las Vegas shooting, you're not going to find more content than you will at my channel. There's well over 250 videos just on the Las Vegas shooting. Yeah. So then I'm exploring Las Vegas shooting. We're two and a half years into it. I uh, relocated. I left Thailand. And I came back to the United States and I don't know, nine months or whatever. After I came back to the United States, COVID hits. And to be quite honest, I fell for it hook on and sinker the whole wet market part of the story because I had been living in Thailand and I bought my produce in a wet market. And so a story about a virus coming from a wet market, I was like, oh, yeah, man, have you been to one of these things? I got eels and frogs and ducks and man, it's crazy. Right? Oh, man. It's okay. Well, not not where I live. We don't have any pangolins or monkeys, but um, they get weird stuff in there, man. I sell turtles and eels and, you know, strange things that you're not used to seeing if, you know, you grew up in Secaucus or, you know, Flushing, New York or whatever, right? You just don't see these things. So to me, the story kind of made sense. I was like, yeah, I, I'm surprised we don't have all kinds of crazy viruses coming out of these wet markets, to be honest with you. I fell for it. But I do a podcast every Friday night. Um, so also on my channel, you guys go to the live tab. That's where we do the, you know, the podcast stuff is on the live tab. So every Friday night, I do a podcast. And my podcast partner, who uh, Jason Goodman, he's a 3D expert. He's the guy who did uh, 3D Spider-Man. He's the 3D cinematographer from 3D Spider-Man. So we're, we're doing this podcast. And he said to me, you know, I just have a strange feeling about this COVID thing. It just feels weird. And it was like the first week in March or whatever, you know, maybe March 2nd or so. And I said, yeah, really? And he tends to think most things are conspiratorial. So I was like, oh, all, right, all right, I'll take a look at it. So if you see the top of the page here, you see how there's that map with the red spots on it? You recognize that? That map thing up there? Yeah. Right. We so, talked about that in the pre-show. Yeah. They're very right. familiar. I was watching the Johns Hopkins website daily. Right, right well, do, do me a favor. <clears throat> do a quick search for the audience. Show them uh, Johns Hopkins COVID map. And then click on the images tab. And you should see just a whole page of that. Um, the Johns Hopkins COVID map was what was being used to effectively communicate the size, scale, scope of the pandemic. And I, you know, I'm, I'm taking a look at it and I'm looking at the map and I'm looking at the system and it's Johns Hopkins and okay. And then it dawns on me as I'm poking around towards the bottom of the page and it, it, it just hits me. It's just, it's really weird. It never even dawned on me 
35 years ago, I built the system. The system that they use to map the pandemic is built using a tool from a company called ESRI, and the tool is called ArcInfo, and that's the mapping technology. And it's become the industry standard by far. Like it is to mapping what Oracle is to databases. And I was at Oracle when this, uh, when I built this thing with my team. So I was the team lead. I'm the guy who goes out, listens to what they want to do. And then I interface with all the Oracle guys and tell them, all right, here's what we probably need to do to make this work. And this was, I don't know, 1988, we did this. So when I saw that Johns Hopkins is using the system that I built, I was like, oh boy, I rolled up my sleeves and said, well, this is going to be interesting. Let's see what we got here. So where's the first place I looked? I never heard of Wuhan, to be honest with you. I've never heard of it. But I love Hong Kong. Have you ever been to Hong Kong? I have not. Oh, it is stunning. It's 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 possibly the most beautiful city I've ever seen. It is just remarkable. So I went and looked at Hong Kong. And that's when I think my heart stopped. Because it was early March. <clears throat> We're in uh, you know, full pandemic crazy mode. And there's not ten people dead in Hong Kong. What? I thought we have a pandemic. I thought we got the, the Chinese, we got the China virus. We got a thing coming out of China, right? <clears throat> Wuhan. I've never been to, I never heard of Wuhan. I've no, like, what's Wuhan? What's in Wuhan? Now, keep in mind, I have a 10 year visa to China. I've been to Zhengzhou. I've been to Hong Kong. I've been to the, what is it, the Northeast Territories outside of Hong Kong. Never heard of Wuhan. Heard of Guangzhou, never heard of Wuhan. So I'm looking at Hong Kong. I said, okay, well, how many are dead in Hong Kong? I don't know, Wuhan, I don't even know where the hell it is. There's not 10 dead in Hong Kong. What the hell is that about? All right, well, how many are dead in Shanghai? What do you mean there's not dead, 10 dead in Shanghai? Oh, how many are dead in Beijing? There's not 10 dead in Beijing. Whoa, what the hell's going on here? Why is the map so red? So then I click on Vietnam, and there's no one dead. Zero. Right now, keep in mind, I'm living in Thailand <clears throat> for seven years. So I know the area, right? I've, I've been on th all throughout. I've been to Burma. I've been, you know, Laos. So that's what I'm clicking on. I'm looking at Myanmar. I'm looking at Laos. I'm looking at Cambodia. Nobody dead. Zero. But the map is all red with these huge red dots. And I'm like, well, who the hell built this thing? I think it took six months or nine months for me to stumble upon. It was built by Ensheng Dong from China, an exchange student at Johns Hopkins. So we're right, looking so, at a map. So the data <laughs> that was going into the map, what you're saying, the data that was going to the map didn't reflect data that you found in kind of real world uh, investigations. No, 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 quite the opposite. In other words, I'm trained in root cause analysis, right? I've got Asperger's. 
And so to me, it's about the data, period. I'm not counting smokestacks. I'm not looking at cell phone bills. I'm looking at Johns Hopkins and I'm looking at the who. And both of them are telling me there's not 5,000 people dead in China. Okay. But you got 8,000 dead in New York. How do you have 8,000 dead in New York and you don't have 5,000 dead in China? What the hell's going on here? Are we talking about the same virus? Right. And if it was, and if it started in China, that should be the biggest death count, central death count. Oh, you think it would spread to Shanghai and Hong Kong before it gets to Elmhurst, Queens? How the hell does it go from Wuhan to Elmhurst, Queens and skips Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Beijing? And Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos. And there's like one guy in Thailand was like one case or 59 cases and one guy's dead. The numbers in Thailand were incredibly low. So the point that I'm seeing is uh, it looks like everybody's just looking at the map and looking at the red dots. Can you zoom in like a little bit on Europe there? Just zoom in on the map part. Yeah. And you see like there's red dots, right? So it's like everybody's looking at the red dots. And I'm like, click on them, you dopes. Click on Hong Kong. Click on Shanghai. There's not 10 people dead. I built the damn system 30 something years ago. This isn't this isn't a, a ploy. Now the question is who configured it so that everything would be red despite the fact that there's nobody dead anywhere other than Wuhan. Oh, and Shangdong configured it. I see. I see. I see. That sounds peachy. Right. So it's just like what they're doing on TV with like climate change where they just show everything's red. There you go. There you go. So uh, the, the net of it is I'm looking at the data. I'm looking at Johns Hopkins and I'm looking at the who. And at the same time, I realize, in other words, in root cause analysis, you want to do a baseline. You want to go back. So I said, well, how far back can I go? Can I get to the CDC data? And let's see... Like, how many people die in America on an annual basis from tuberculosis? How many people die on an annual basis from influenza? How many die, you know, what are the other respiratory? I don't, I don't know if RSV actually kills people or not. Maybe it kills people in their 90s. But uh, I think the big ones would be tuberculosis and influenza. So I start poking around, and I find a system that tracks influenza deaths. I say, okay, there's a, a good baseline. Let's take a look at that. How many people die from influenza each year? So do you have a sense of how many people die from influenza each year? Do you have oh, I would say uh, if the CDC data is correct, maybe a couple hundred thousand on a huge okay. population like ours, 320, 340. Okay. So that's actually the correct number. But most people think the number is 20,000 to 40, 50,000 a year because the CDC reports something they call influenza burden. An influenza burden is like a calculated derived value that you have to divide by this and then multiply by that. So it's not actually the number of people that died from pneumonia and influenza. And therein lies the rub is that people aren't aware of how deadly influenza can be. And in particular, most people aren't aware that there's a pretty big difference between pandemic influenza and seasonal influenza. P- 
pandemic influenza is deadly. Like really deadly. Like 1918 H1N1 killed over 50 million people. Yes, they gave people too much aspirin. Yes, there was uh, bacterial pneumonia because of the mask wearing and all that. But in 1999, Johan Holton goes to Alaska, digs it up, and they sequenced it. They brought it back to Walter Reed and a guy named Dr. Jeffrey Taubenberger, working with Terrence Tumpy and Ann Reed, sequence the 1918 H1N1 Spanish flu. And in 2005, Dr. Fauci and Francis Collins decided to publish the genome in Science Magazine. Ray Kurzweil, fellow at Google, right? Senior Google fellow, Ray Kurzweil, he invents the scanner, Kurzweil synthesizers, right? The scanners, right, right. So Ray Kurzweil writes an op-ed for the New York Times with Bill Joy. Bill Joy is the founder of Sun Microsystems, right? So this is, this is... 300 IQ or something crazy like that. And and Bill Joy is, um, what's his name from Google? Eric Schmidt's boss, when Eric Schmidt worked at Sun, he worked for Bill Joy. So Bill Joy is Eric Schmidt's boss, okay? And Bill Joy and Ray Kurzweil put an op-ed together in the New York Times. It's still there. You guys can find it right now called Recipe for Destruction. If you type in Ray Kurzweil, Recipe for Destruction, you'll find the story. And in 2005, Ray Kurzweil, Bill Joy said that basically Dr. Fauci and Francis Collins are out of their minds. They're resurrecting the deadliest virus on earth. If it were to get out, it conceivably would kill 10 million people. Ray Kurzweil said that in 2005. So uh, he kind of didn't think it would be a great idea. Dr. Fauci did it anyway. They reconstructed it and they published the genome. The genome is published in Science Mag, and anybody anywhere can download it, put it into your gene synthesizer, right? All you need are, uh, what, five bottles? You get your A, C, G, and T, right? Adenine, cytosine, tryptosine, guan, right? Whatever those four things are. And then there's another bottle or whatever with some saline or whatever. It's like a printer. It's like cyan, yellow, magenta, black. I mean, it, it... basically generates these viruses. This is a genetic synthesizer. So if you've got one of those and you've got the formula for 1918 H1N1, you can create your own BSL-4 pathogen. That's right there with Ebola, Marburg. BSL is what, biological safety level? Right, BSL-4, biological safety level 4 these are when you see the guys in the balloon suits, the high-pressure suits, uh, you know, like the movie Outbreak or Contagion or whatever. That's BSL-4. So this, And this is the only BSL-4 influenza strain there is. And there are no other, like H3N8, none of them are BSL-4. There's only one, 1918 H1N1 influenza. It's also the only respiratory virus ever in history to kill more than 5 million people. There's only one. In other words, if you were playing a game called The Usual Suspects, you'd only have one suspect. In other words, if you had a pandemic and you said, man, 
We got 5 million people dead. Has any virus ever done this before? Yeah, the answer is just one. All right, now, it is interesting because all these other kind of, uh, you know, calamities or bacterial, right? They're not viral. They're well, all... smallpox is viral. So smallpox okay. was the other big viral killer. Um, but that's not really a respiratory virus. That's a virus really of, of the, right, the cutaneous, right, subcutaneous type virus. It's of the skin organ. So as respiratory viruses go, 1918 H1N1 is, is, is the, the mother of them all. 50 million dead, nothing even comes close. In fact, it's one of the reasons I was getting suspicious of COVID was when I looked into MERS and SARS-1. Neither of them killed a 1,000 people. Right. I said, wait a second, if MERS didn't kill a 1,000 and SARS-1 didn't kill a 1,000, this one's killing 7 million people? That's a, that's a jump, right? That seemed odd. That didn't sound right, but there's this other virus that has killed over 5 million before, and Dr. Fauci resurrected it at Walter Reed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. It's crazy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the whole background of Fauci that people don't talk about. They think of him as some kind of, like, administrator or benevolent right. doctor. No, he knows bioweaponry. He knows all the well, bioweaponry mechanics. Yeah. So this is, this is a, again, a bit of the punchline here is a lot of people know that he's the highest paid guy in the government. Most people don't know why. Right. right. The resurrection of H1N1, 1918 pandemic influenza was considered such a strategic advantage that they created a new pay level for him. Wow. So that's how big this is. So now you've got to consider this is the mother of all viruses. This is the one that you don't need to put it in an, in a vaccine. It knows what to do all by itself. You don't need to gain oh, a function. You well now the question is if you did and you had 15 years to work on it, might you be able to tweak it in a way that it's not quite as detectable? All right, now let me give you an example. At the beginning of the pandemic, something was happening that everybody couldn't understand. People were driving to stadiums to get tested, even though they didn't have any symptoms. So what the hell is this about? You're, you're testing hundreds of thousands of people who are asymptomatic. What the hell is that about? Why are you doing that, particularly since you don't have a therapeutic to give them? You're, you're, you're panning all the therapeutic possibilities right so you're not even allowed to talk about the therapeutic possibilities on youtube not even mention them or they take the video down so there's no therapeutic so if i go to my drive let's say i go to yankee stadium and i wait online for an hour and 15 minutes and they finally test me and i'm positive well they give me prayer beads i mean and say you know god bless you and we we wish you all the best i mean they had nothing to give you, so why are they testing you? Unless there's something spreading that they needed to know, and the thing that's spreading is something you can't even tell you have. Now, let me explain that. It seems that there's a whole bunch of people 
that showed up at the ER lethargic. Lethargic. But upon having their blood oxygen tested, their blood ox is at 79%. 77%. 81%. These are levels that are so low, they won't let you leave the hospital post-op. In other words, if you have a gallstone surgery or something like that, uh, you know the type of surgery where they send you home the same day, if your blood ox is at 81, you're not going anywhere. Like you've right. got to be well into the night. You got to be like 96 or 97 before they even let you go home. So when you when you walk into the ER and your blood ox is 81, 79, 77, they're looking at you like, how are you even conscious right now? Like, how are you awake? You you should be out cold. Blue, right? Like something right. lips are blue, lips are blue. blue. Lips. There you go. Cyanosis, hypoxia turns out to be the initial presentation in these serious cases. And as I start researching those symptoms, back then they called it the blue death because people's lips were turning blue. That's what they called it in 1980. They didn't call it the Spanish flu in 1918. They called it the Spanish flu a little bit later because Spain talked about it and everybody else kept it hush-hush because of World War I. Nobody wanted to admit that they were having an, an outbreak. Spain was the only country that mentioned it, so everybody thought it was happening just in Spain. But that wasn't the case. That's what. Right, how so it it's like a news. total misnomer. It like never should have been called that. Yeah. Right. Probably yeah. So the Wuhan Spain virus. Was ones, man. Yeah. Everybody here yeah. is sick, and all the other countries are like, "Hey, man, we're in a war. We're not telling anybody a damn thing." So that's how I got got the name the Spanish flu. But back then, they kept calling it the Blue Death because people's lips would turn blue. And the presentation was like they had altitude sickness, cyanosis, hypoxia. They're not getting oxygen, but they can breathe. I don't know if you've ever been uh, like mountain biking up at an altitude that you're not used to. Man, it's like, and yeah. it, it feels like nothing's happening. It's like you're breathing and breathing and it feels like nothing is happening. Yeah, That's, It's like a heaviness. You get a heaviness in your chest. I've Correct. experienced that at very high altitudes, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so this is this initial presentation, and a number of physicians have confirmed bizarre blue lips, hypoxia, cyanosis. And then if we do a chest x-ray, we see ground glass uh, opacity. All right. These are all textbook. very, these are textbook things that were there talking about Correct. in 2020. And all the media heads and doctors at that time were like, What's this blue blue glass and why are the lungs being ruined? And, you know, what's this, you know, strange x-ray? Why am I finding this? So there's a lot of mystery going on. And there was another thing in 2020 that they were talking about that later on they retract. And this was also suspicious. Cytokine storms. The cytokine storm was something that was in the news in 2020. Then they realized, uh, they said, it doesn't look like this is causing the cytokine storm. When you research these other viruses, you find out that that's what the 1918 H1N1 pandemic influenza was doing, was it created something called the cytokine storm. That's what it did. So if we're witnessing people who are suffering from a cytokine storm and we're witnessing people's cyanosis and hypoxia, why don't the physicians realize that these people have this affliction? How do you fool 
all so in other words assume that langley said look this is strategic man we can't tell people that we accidentally are going to kill 10 million people despite our best efforts like langley's not going to let that happen right especially if the choice is blame china so if choice number one is oops we screwed up remember that virus ray kurzweil told us not to resurrect and we resurrected it anyway well it looks like it got out and it looks like yikes five to ten million people might die we're really sorry the other choice is blame china what do you think the guys in langley voted for the latter <laughs> blame china all right we got an operation right? this on is be fun get some money right this is this is how we work this is what we do Telling everybody, oops, we screwed up. We're really sorry. It looks like 10 million people might die. You know, we probably should have listened to Ray Kurzweil. That's not the American way. That's not how we operate. That's not, that's not. And it is interesting that Trump, there's an interesting overlap between the Las Vegas massacre and this COVID fiasco because Trump was very quick to blame China or whatever he said. And then he always said, I remember the meeting after the Vegas shooting where Trump is like, that Stephen Paddock was a really strange guy, and that was it. You know, he just basically pinned it on Paddock in a kind of offhanded, one-handed, one-sentence statement. It's funny that and you that remember it. it that way. It's yeah. funny that you remember it that way because he actually didn't say Stephen Paddock. He said it's a sick, sick man. Oh, okay. That is a sick individual. You, mer- you remember it man. better than I do. Well, because I this is all I do. <clears throat> is these two these two cases, by the way, are the only thing I've worked on in six and a half years. Wow. These two wow. investigations. That's it. That's part of the Asperger's. I've, I'm I'm like a two trick pony. I, I can do trick one and trick two and get me off the stage. That's all I'm good at. So I know a lot about the Las Vegas shooting, and because I built the mapping system and I took a very different perspective of, uh, on the uh, the COVID thing. <clears throat> basically I end up realizing things about COVID that nobody else has realized. For example, I'll give you one, one thing here to chew on and let you think about this. We received the genetic sequence from China on January the 11th of 2020. That's when the who gets the genetic sequence for SARS CoV-2 virus. Okay. January 11th, 2020. How many people were infected with SARS-CoV-2 virus on that day when we got that sequence? Good question. 10 or something like that? 20? It was very small. 41. 41, yeah. How many people had died from SARS-CoV-2 when we had the One. One. The day we get the sequence is the same day the first guy dies. 41 cases in Wuhan, China. So now if next week there's 41 cases of pneumonia in Ecuador and a lady dies, are we going to sequence that, make a vaccine and vaccine 6 billion people again? If if the week after that in Maga, 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 Turkey, 43 people have pneumonia and one guy died are we going to sequence that and inoculate in other words where do we why did 40 cases in wuhan get the who's attention if there were 40 cases of pneumonia in indiana i don't think it would get anybody's attention 
Who the hell, who's going to notice this? Let's say there's 40 cases of pneumonia in Iowa and one farmer died. Well, William, we better sequence one of these people pronto. Sequence them, damn it, and let's get a vaccine out. There's 41 cases, William. Right, right. One guy has died, damn it. Hurry, warp speed. We've got one guy dead. I heard, I've gone through another researcher who went through the rollout or what happened at the initial stages of the event in January, and he looked at all of the events rolling out through the media, and he said, it's all bogus. Everything was staged, or it had to have been scripted. Like, there's nothing that actually necessitated this pandemic. So it was like it came out of a, well, a but that, that's all Okay, but that's all, those are words. Right. I'm, I'm a numbers guy. 41 cases, one guy is dead. All right, so everybody thought something was weird. Right. Nobody put a number on it. There's 41 cases of pneumonia in a place in China you've never heard of, and one guy died. So let's sequence one of these 41 people, build the vaccine, and inoculate 6 billion. So the question now is, if that happens in Ecuador next week, 41 cases and one guy dies, we got to do this all over again. What was it about those 40 cases of pneumonia that were so remarkable? Because quite frankly, what's his name? Li Wen Liang, the ophthalmologist who is the guy who says, hey, this thing is pretty bad. He doesn't die till February 6th. So he, he, he doesn't even, he's not even on the map yet. Pun intended. Lee Wen, right? Lee Wen Liang is not even on the map yet. This is January 11th. We've got one guy dead. We got 41 cases. We get the sequence. But guess what happens next? It gets even more interesting. Guess what happens two days later? Two days later, on January 13th of 2020, President Trump signs a contract with Moderna. January 13th of 2020, signs a contract with Moderna. Mike Pence brags about it in November. Ivanka Trump brags about it in November. And says, right, Ivanka puts out a tweet and says, my daddy, in fact, <clears throat> right, there you go. Moderna, there you go. You found it. Man, that was fast. That's beautiful. So Ivanka Trump says, the Moderna NIH vaccine is literally the one that my daddy partnered with Moderna to create on January 13th, 2020. Well, wait a second. How many people were dead January 11th? How many? Uh, How many were dead? One, two, one, four, one, yeah. one guy's dead, 41 cases. Two days later, daddy signing a deal with Moderna because there's 41 cases in Wuhan and a guy died. Huh? When does the second guy die? The second guy in Wuhan doesn't die until January 15th, two days after this contract is signed. So with one dead guy, President Trump signed a contract with Moderna for mRNA? Huh. You sure? Are you sure that that Moderna vaccine was for SARS-CoV-2 because there's only one dead guy. Right. 
So what what would he be doing a contract for Moderna with? Well, what was happening in January? By January 13th of 2020, we've got a thousand people dying a day from influenza in the United States. A day. He's got 4,000 a week are tallying up. So on the CDC thing, mm-hmm. by day three, by January 3rd of 2020, he's at 2,900 dead. January, so January 1, 2, 3. In three days, he's got 2,900 dead. They're logging deaths at about 4,000 a week. And Which are fake, though. You're saying those are fake, though. They're logging. No, 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 no. These are real PNI deaths that you're not being told about. Okay. Or ABC News is telling you there's an influenza outbreak because Langley hasn't decided it's time to shut it down yet, right? So it's still on the news in January. I've got a whole. You guys will see that on my uh, on my YouTube channel. Whole bunch of news clips. Uh, there's a video on the on the channel that says what was happening before COVID, right? Before COVID, right? What was happening? And you just search for those terms on the channel before COVID, and you'll find that video. And you see like ABC News and NBC. Everybody's talking about man, this influenza outbreak is worse than ever before. This is crazy. What's going on with this influenza outbreak? And then we see 4,000 people are dying a week. This is, these are big numbers. This is not good. Well, it turns out that in the summer of 2019, in Australia, they had the worst influenza season they've had in 100 years. Six times more people died in Queensland in 2019 than in the year before. 600% increase in deaths. By September 2019, Dr. Fauci presents President Trump with an executive order for modernizing influenza vaccines with mRNA technology, September 2019, before event 201. Right, I remember that. I have that too. So before event 201, before the Milken conference, before any of the public facing stuff, the executive order is already signed for modernizing influenza vaccines. Basically, everything they talk about at the Milken conference is already signed. They're right. off of eggs. They're off. They're off of eggs. So everything that Rick Bright is talking about at that Milken conference with his socks, right? He's got the fancy socks, right? You know, Rick Bright wears socks. It's got all kinds of stuff on. So Rick Bright from HHS is bragging, you know, talking about the vaccine. It's done. The paperwork's already done. Right. No, it's incredible. September 19th, 19th, Trump signs the executive order to get off of eggs and go to mRNA. So the Milken conference is like, what, what, what are you guys talking about? It's already done. Paperwork's done. Right, no, it's incredible. Now, do people Hill. really want to? Oh, they will deliberately try to make you forget about that. Absolutely. No and Avril Haynes and Miles Guo both participate in Event 201. It's only three hours. So keep in mind, Event 201 is only a three hour exercise. They've done, they've done other tabletop exercises that were much longer. They did Clade X the year before, I think it was a full day exercise. Uh, they did Crimson Contagion, which ran for a couple months. So they've done a number of these exercises. I think, you know, really the heart of the matter here is, well, wait a second. If January 11th, there's one guy dead and President Trump is signing a contract with Moderna on January 13th and January 15th, the second guy dies. 
number two. Right. Maybe the Moderna contract wasn't for SARS-CoV-2. Right. So then what would it have been for? Measles? Mumps? Giardia? What do you think it might have been for? 4,000 people are dying a week of influenza. Something else. Well, well, something. It's for something. Right? 4,000 people are dying a week. You got 600% increase in deaths in Queensland. And oh, by the way, Italy has 3 million cases in January 2020. January 2020, Italy has 3 million cases of influenza. And then something remarkable happened. Between weeks 11 and 14 of 2020, influenza disappeared from Earth. Well, I should say it disappeared from about 107 countries. It didn't disappear from Haiti, but it disappeared from, you know, uh, 100-something countries. In March 11th through 14th of 2020, you look at Hungary, Switzerland, Norway, Netherlands, boom, it's gone. Influenza disappears. I document this in a white paper in October of 2020. And said, wait a second, influenza just disappeared from Earth as COVID showed up? That's a little weird. Uh, it's a little uh, Clark Kent Superman type stuff. There's a system at, at the WHO called GISRS, FluNet, FluNet GISRS. And, or you could even just look on Twitter, and if you type my handle into Twitter and you talk about uh, the eradication of flu, it's all there. But this system documents all this. You guys will find that on Twitter later. But the system documents um, influenza specimens in all these countries. So I go through country by country by country by country. And every country is eradicated influenza at exactly the same time. Like it's it's synchronous. It's like, wait, whoa, whoa. Influenza disappears from 100 countries within 28 days. And Marion Koopmans doesn't say anything. Helen Branswell doesn't say anything. Martin Kaldorf doesn't say anything. Influenza disappeared from Earth. It's gone. And nobody's noticing this. How how is nobody noticing this? I'm looking at the who. And it's gone? See, see if you can see the what's that first link there? What's the first link say? One of these is a system. Uh-huh. It, it's a chart. It's a green chart. Um, you know what? If you go to Twitter and you just type in at I underscore M underscore John Cullen space hungry, H-U-N-G-A-R-Y, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. So if you go to Twitter and you put in at I underscore M underscore John Cullen, and then Hungary, the country Hungary, not I am Hungary. And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. So this system, and you're on the right, like you're on the right page. I just can't see it well enough from where I'm sitting to tell you what to click on. But the gist of it is it tracks influenza specimens. And it's a WHO system. They've been doing this for years, and they track influenza specimens from all the member countries of the WHO. And it's sort of, you know, this is kind of the de facto place you go to look at stuff. I don't know if you're able to pull up that Twitter thing and share that with the audience with the Hungary or not. Um, but the net I'm of it to is... Find it. I'm trying to find it. 
Yeah, no sweat. So um, what you see is that the disappearance of the influenza happens almost overnight. It's it's a radical uh, disappearance. Like it just, it's like gone. Like it looks like half dome at Yosemite. You know, or, uh, where, where's half dome? And uh, where's half dome? Not Yosemite. Yosemite. It's Yosemite. So it looks like half dome. It's like you see influenza taking off, taking off, taking off, and then it just stops. So that doesn't really happen organically, does it? So that's kind of odd. So when you see this global disappearance of influenza and the rapid appearance of COVID and COVID deaths, it seems like they might be trying to hide something. In other words, is it more likely that influenza disappeared from Earth? Or is it more likely that Langley needed to hide what Ray Kurzweil was suggesting that we didn't do in the first place? Right. And if Langley were going to hide it, what might that look like? Would they blame China? Would it be Absolutely. all about, did it come from a bat? Did it come from a pangolin? Did it come from a raccoon dog? Did it come from a snake? Did it come from a this? Did it come from a that? It came from the lab. It came from the wet market. No, it did. No, it didn't. came from a cave. What about the bats? You forgot this cave. What about that cave? Dr. She, Dr. Bat Lady. I haven't heard anybody mention Fort Detrick. Have you? No. Right? So it's working. It's working. It's been working. It's been working. Guess what the number one comorbidity of COVID is in America? Number one. Overweight. With a bullet. With a bullet, number one. Like nothing even comes close to this. Of the 1.2 million people that died in the United States with COVID, with COVID, 530,000 of them also had influenza and pneumonia. Oh, so that's number one comorbidity. I see. When they got the sequence of SARS-CoV-2 from one of those 41 people in Wuhan, was that necessarily the virus that was causing the pneumonia? In other words, I, I might have five coronaviruses in me right now, right? Right. I got a whole bunch of them. Right. But if I get a fever... Is the fever from one of those coronaviruses that are in me right now? Or is the fever because I've got an infection in my shin because I scraped it and it's really bad? And that's why I have, in other words, is the sickness necessarily from the virus that they sequenced? You got, a bunch, you got 41 dead or 41 sick people. I'm going to take, you know, snot or blood or whatever we're doing to get the sequence from these people. And I say, hey, we've never seen this coronavirus before. Look at this one. This is, look at this is a doozy. Look at this has got all kinds of crap on it. But is that what's causing them to be sick? I get it that you found this in them, but might they have another virus? Right. SARS-CoV-7. And that's the one that actually is making them sick. They got they got five of them. They got SARS-CoV-2, SARS-CoV-4, SARS-CoV-7, and SARS-CoV-9. You, you guys just never looked at those. You just don't know that they're there. But they got all of those. So these are the weird questions that I ask because I don't have any friends. Maybe I don't have any friends because I ask the weird questions, William. That's the weird questions, right? But there's a lot of there's a lot of questions still going on with this holy man. I got really sick in january of 2020 the sickest i've ever been and the symptoms were unbelievable they were so strange 
I had a really hardcore cough and I couldn't eat for a week. I don't know what the hell it was. It was, it wasn't like a normal fever. I didn't have a temperature. So what if, well, so that's the thing. The people that I've spoken to, one of the documentaries I did is with a gentleman named Curtis Bay. Uh, he took his wife to the hospital, and when they got to the ER, her blood ox is 79%, but she doesn't have a fever. Right, that's what's weird. She doesn't have a fever. Blood ox is 79%. She's lethargic, doesn't have a fever. They check her in. 15 days later, she dies. Oh, wow. She never tested positive for COVID, though. Ever. Now, you got sick in January 2020. There's 41 cases in all of Wuhan. You did not have COVID. No, I did not have COVID. I had something right. else. Four, right. 4,000 people were dying a week in America when you had what you had. I should have gone to the hospital. Like I was literally urinating well, like rosé wine. I probably would have been had, intubated and killed. Yeah, you would have died. Right. Yeah. But I'm going to share. I mean, William, you survived the deadliest virus we know of you survived apparently 1918 h1n1 that's what you had oh, that's, that's why it was so devastating it destroys organs the book you guys want to read if you're interested in this is called the great influenza by john barry and what he explains is when they were doing the autopsies the organs were destroyed the organs were like jelly uh, the lungs came out with foam. When they opened up the chest, there was foam in the cavity. He said, I've never seen anything like this. They said it was unreal. They were in shock from it. Yeah. And I, this I, is all in the book, Great Influenza by John. Yeah, there you go. So I believe, William, that you may have had this this is what you had in january 2020 because there's only 41 cases of covid in all of wuhan how the hell did you get it right no way and in fact when the when the vaccines came out i'm still looking at the map and friends of mine are saying to me are you going to get the vaccine and i said why would i think i'm gonna die if there's not 10 dead in hong kong if there's not 10 dead in shanghai and there's not 10 dead in Hong Kong, and nobody's dead in Vietnam. Nobody. Zero. What the hell would I think I'm going to die from it for? How am I going to get it? Didn't make sense to me. And that's the other one interesting thing is that the Spanish flu, apparently it started in the USA. So it probably, this flu was probably the same freaking thing. Really started in the U.S. and they just well, let's give you guys it. something to think about. In other words, why why would President Trump sign a deal with Moderna if there's one dead guy and 41 cases if he's got 4,000 dying a week from another virus? Right. No, that's why a good would question. That? So and just so much and, wealth transference and shutting down the economy. I mean, it was a catastrophic event. It's really a World War III. Well, I event. think China I think China was getting back at Trump. I mean, a lot of this was propaganda coming out of Chinese intelligence because it put him on his heels. He's not a germ guy. He doesn't even like to shake hands. I don't know if you know that. He's kind of germophobic. So if you bring a germ story, he's like, uh, get, get me Fauci, get, get, get somebody in here. Get me Burks. I don't even want to come near this thing. Right. Don't even, don't even tell me about it. It's not his bailiwick. It's not his world. Right. So it was perfect. 
He doesn't. He doesn't want to. You bring him a modernization executive order for Vax. Sure, I'll sign. Here, give me the thing. Sign it. Sure. What I don't know. What the hell does he know? What's in there? He doesn't know what that was reading. Modernization of he does. Everybody had to kind of come up to speed to figure out what the heck these guys were doing. It's like a specialized series of knowledge, you know. So now you have a whole bunch of new information to absorb. And so, so here's here's the challenge. The challenge is now that you guys have heard all this, this is all new data. You've got to fit this in to these beliefs. In other words, if you think it was this and you think it was that, you think this happened, you think that happened, and then you're like, but, but there were only 10 people dead in Hong Kong. Well, that kind of changes everything because why didn't Anderson Cooper pick that up? How does Anderson Cooper miss the fact that there's not 10 dead. In other words, shouldn't CNN have had, uh, what's her name? Uh, Christiane Amanpour reporting from Hong Kong, right? Anderson, it's Christian Amanpour. I'm here in Hong Kong where we still have seven dead. I'll get back to you as soon as we get to 10. There's no report, William. There's nobody in Hong Kong, nobody reporting from Shanghai. We had the Beijing Olympics. There weren't 10 people dead in Beijing, and it doesn't hit the news? Who can pull that off? Langley. That's it. Langley. Who can shut up every single news agency so that they don't report that there aren't 10 people dead? Fox News put it on the screen one night. 8,000 dead in New York, not 10 dead in Beijing, not 10 dead in Shanghai. They showed this one night. Never again did they show this. What, how, um, how do you how do you explain all the propaganda that came out of China? Like it was China totally... couldn't wait to get rid of Trump. Trump is like, we're winning on trade. We're winning on trade. I'm gonna tariff the shit out of you if you even mention another thing. Say say another word. I'm gonna give you another tariff. And he's rubbing your nose in it. Meanwhile, President Xi and Joe Biden go back. They were both vice presidents at the same time. These guys were going to the strip clubs with Mickey Mouse and the Pangolins. Right. So the, the, Joe Biden and she were both vice presidents at the same time. They know each other from back then, from 2008. These guys go back. So given a choice between Donald Trump tariffing him, beating him on trade and Joe Biden. He says to the CIA guys, what do you need? A couple of videos? What do you want? People fall down on the street, people in white white right. outfits? What do you need? Yeah, yeah I got that. I got that. What do you need? You you want me to get you you want a dead doctor? I'll film a dead dog. You want me to get a doctor to die? I'll get your doctor to die. Lee Wen Lang will be his name. And he's an ophthalm, a good looking guy, too. Really good looking kid. 33-year-old ophthalmologist. Right. So all that stuff was just pure propaganda from the very beginning. Absolutely. Get rid of Trump. Put Trump on his heels. And what does Hillary say? Hillary comes out of the gate. This is another beautiful thing. I got to love this. All right. So Donald Trump declares a national emergency on Friday, the 13th of March. March 13th, he comes out, Rose Garden, beautiful day in the Rose Garden. He's got Alex Azar. Everybody's there. 60 people come filing out of the Oval Office. And he declares a national emergency. There's not 10 people dead in New York. There's not 10 people dead in California. There's not 10 dead in Texas, and there's not 10 dead in Florida. There's not 10 dead in Hong Kong. There's not 10 dead in Shanghai. And he's declaring a national emergency. Five days later, 
on March the 18th, I want you guys to write this down, March 18th, 2020, Hillary says we really should vote by mail. Right, I heard that. That's now, funny. when Hillary says we should vote by mail on March 18th, 2020, there are not 200 people dead in all of the United States. And yet, she's already got a solution to the problem that doesn't yet quite exist. So in other words, if you don't have 200 people dead and it's March, the hell are you worrying about November and voting in November? It's March. Right. And you got 180 people, 181 people are dead March 18th, the day she says this. 181 are dead. She says we probably should vote by mail. I got to believe that uh, Huma is elbowing her as she sends out that tweet and says, don't you think you're jumping the gun? Shouldn't we wait till there's uh, 10,000 dead or something? There's 180 people dead. And you're going to recommend vote by mail? Now? March 18th for November. You got a solution to the problem that we don't yet have. Right. Well, that's it's a incredible. little odd. That's so they maintained odd. that whole thing that all politics, it was all propaganda to ensure the ballot fraud that was going to take place later it, in the it, year. It appears that's the primary motive and the ulterior motive was these guys couldn't wait to get off eggs and get to this mRNA thing. But if it turns out that there was, in fact, another virus that's spreading and, and Langley's keeping it secret, imagine, in other words, imagine that the people who are keeping it secret are genuinely worried that 30 million Americans are going to die. And they have to keep it a secret and blame China. And everybody's calling BS on COVID. Everybody's going, get the hell out of here. This is it. And that and, and all that vaccine hesitancy. Why were they freaking out about the vaccine hesitancy and deploying the FBI and turning off channels? <sighs> because 30 million people might have died. Right. So that's their that's their rationale. But they can't it. tell you the real part of the story because they consider this national security. Because right, it's they're national, more right. Well, it's they, national right. security because they could be on the on the horn for it, they could be responsible for it. That's, but that's not why. It's like the they have their categorization. Same thing with with the Vegas shooting, because it's MBS is the is a target of an assassination attempt. They can stake that's national security to them. Right. So so I become a national security threat by simply reporting this stuff. Right. But I I'm not like a I didn't I'm not a contractor like uh, Snowden. I didn't sign, I didn't work at any of these weird, I don't work at any of the agencies. I'm not accessing information that you can't access. In other words, I'm not hacking into anything. I'm not using credentials to look at this map. I'm looking at the same map you're looking at. There's not 10 dead in Hong Kong, right? When I was looking right. at it. Right. MBS so had just come into power, I think, in June of uh, 2017, too. So he was kind of a fresh and young Yes. Air to the trillion dollars of oil sitting under the, uh, the, the desert. So there's a huge That's secession correct. issue. It's an enormous secession issue for an enormous power. Yeah. And all the cousins are losing their mind. There's an article in The Guardian from September 2015, two years before the shooting, how there's unrest in the Saudi royal kingdom. And <clears throat> the article effectively lays out that it's like this is no good he's 30 something years old and he's the crown prince 
we've got uncle this guy and uncle that guy and been this guy and been to and that they're all in their 60s, 70s. They've been waiting for this moment their whole lives. They are direct descendants of Ibn Saud. And you're going to make the 31 year old crown prince. He can't wait till he's 50. He can't, right? right? He has no experience. That, you know, so that's, they, that, yeah, they're angry argument. about it. Yeah. So now and you got to think about, well, who's angry? Yeah. Right. Who right. are these, who are the potential crown princes? You've got Mukrin. You've got Bin Talal. You've got uh, Bandar. You, these guys are all direct descendants of Ibn Saud. Direct descendants of Ibn Saud. And for and people who made- don't know, there's a lot of direct descendants of Ibn Saud. To solidify the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, Ibn Saud was exhausted. He had a huge harem, and he was constantly putting the tribes together through having children. And so he had an untold, I mean, hundreds of children or uh, grandchildren. And so they were all on, and the Bin Ladens are part of it, part on the government teat. Like they were people who benefited from the state as direct descendants of this huge guy. Ibn Saud is really a remarkable guy. Um, Well, today I think there's 2,500 members of the royal family that are considered Sauds, and they enjoy the largesse of you know the the kingdom kingdom so yeah, trillion dollars 25 2500 members of the royal family um but the contention for this crown prince role is so dramatic in other words muhammad bin naif had been crown prince uh mukrin had been crown prince meaning mansour bin mukrin figures well if my daddy is crown prince that means he's going to be king and that means i'm going to be crown prince which means i'm going to be king and then his daddy loses the job Mukrin is pushed out for MBS. Muhammad bin Nayef is pushed out for MBS. And these guys thought they were going, dude, it's like you've got the key to the castle and right as you're about to put it in the door, they take it away. These guys thought they were going to be king of Saudi Arabia and then they take that away from them. Muhammad bin Nayef, Mukrin bin Abdulaziz, his son is Mansour bin Mukran. I believe it was Mansour bin Mukran who gave the interview to the Guardian and who helped plan the Las Vegas shooting because the November 5th, the day of the long, the night of the long sword at the Ritz Carlton when MBS rounded everybody up, had him arrested and brought him Blackwater to beat him. Um, that was 2017, it, too, right? It was after the uh, event. Not even after five weeks thing. later. Not even five oh, weeks wow. later. So in other words, the event is October 1st, Night of the Long Sword is November 5th. And when I hear the Night of the Long Sword, that's when I realized this whole thing was an assassination attempt on MBS. It was as soon as I heard it. I said, that's it. That That's what it was. So he arrests Alweed bin Talal. He arrests Bakr bin Laden. He arrests Mohammed bin Nayef. These are these are major players. He arrests yeah. Maiteb bin Abdullah, the head of the Saudi Arabian National Guard. He's got a hundred and fifty thousand man army just to protect the royal family. That's not the Saudi military. The Saudi Arabian National Guard is his private army. Right. He arrests I mean, the head. He arrests Maiteb bin Abdullah, the son of King Abdullah. King Abdullah's son is placed under arrest. Maiteb bin Abdullah placed on... Hold, dude, this is major. Yeah, it would be like somebody in like the... 
the, the uh, comparable thing would be like like the if royal Mike family Johnson, arresting the son or something Johnson, like these yeah, if these Mike are, Johnson had all the Democrats arrested, right. I mean, if right. Mike Johnson said, okay, you're under arrest, you're in contempt, you're in contempt, you're in contempt, and Vijaya Gotti, you're in contempt, and Jack, right. you're under arrest. Yeah. Imagine arresting the head of Twitter, the head of YouTube, That right? That's right. kind of what he did. He arrests all yeah. the major players at the Ritz-Carlton. I think they told everybody it was a Shakira or Ciara concert. And that it, it was an invitation from the king, and he expects you to be there. Right? Wow. And so everybody goes, and then they lock the doors. And that's November 5th. Well, Al-Walid Al bin Talal al-Saud, by the way, is yeah. the world's seventh richest man. So it's like so brazen. It's incredibly bold, and it didn't really play very high in the Western media. Maybe a, maybe an well, elite media or something. I don't know if you saw the, I don't know if you saw Syriana. But it it seems that Langley likes to take sides, and the net of this here is he he gets this nasty reputation. He's ruthless. He's he's a ruthless. He's out of his mind. Power hungry. He's, these guys tried to kill him five kill weeks me. earlier. Yeah, they tried. And in fact, did you know that Jamal Khashoggi was killed on October first, two thousand eighteen, at ten fifteen p.m. Las Vegas time. Wow. One year to the minute. MBS is very poetic. <clears throat> November 5th, the night of the long sword, is the anniversary of the gunpowder plot when they tried to kill King James. This is the guy wow. Fox mask, right? So you know the masks. Remember, the remember the 5th of November, right? That's it. So November 5th, the anniversary of them trying to kill the King of England he invites them to a party and arrests them and has Blackwater come in to interrogate him. All right, now the, now the key thing here is Mansour bin Mukran, the son of Mukran bin Abdulaziz, who was crown prince, doesn't make it to the party. His helicopter is shot down out of the air wow. that day. Wow. Now, so this is MBS, uh, an eye for an eye. You came after me with helicopters. I'll take you out in yours. Right. That's amazing. All right. So Mansour bin Mukran doesn't even make the party. His helicopter is shot out of the sky, by the way, with his entire entourage. Like, MBS totally ruthless. Like, doesn't the care. Ruthless, Just doesn't ruthless. care. Right. Yeah. All right. So now Jamal Khashoggi, you talk about the press. Oh, my God. He killed a journalist. He's such a ruthless bastard. Here's what I'll leave your audience with. MBS has all the same surveillance technology that we have in Langley and in Fort Meade. He's got it all. If, if, if Israel makes it, he's got it. He buys everything. All the surveillance stuff, he's got it. What if I told you that MBS has a recording of Jamal Khashoggi giving instructions on who to kill first in Las Vegas? First, I want you to kill his children. I want you to behead them in front of his wife. Then you rape his wife and behead her before you castrate him and kill him. And he's got the recording. Wow. That's now, what would you do? What would you do if you had a recording of one of your family friends giving instructions to somebody how to kill your children, kill and rape your wife, and then castrate and kill you? And you've got it on tape. I'd be pretty angry. 
And Khashoggi, they publicize him as just a journalist. Sorry, but they publicize him as a journalist. He's much more than that. Yeah. Well, he was number two in the GIP. He was number two to uh, who? Bandar? At the the GIP is the Saudi intelligence. GIP is the General Intelligence Presidency in Saudi. It's the CIA. So their CIA is called the General Intelligence Presidency. He was the number two guy in the GIP, and he worked with Awalid in a venture that I think they did with Fox, with Murdoch or something. So he and Awalid are close. He was in the GIP, and then they call him a journalist? I did a video called Did Jamal Khashoggi Do Something that Warranted His Untimely Demise or whatever. And basically it documents he's criticizing MBS and calling for Arab Spring in Saudi Arabia. Now, if you're the if you're the new king sitting on a trillion dollar fortune and one of your family friends is calling for democracy, I'd probably want him to shut up. But when he plans the Las Vegas shooting, I'm going to have him taken out on the anniversary of and I'm going to film it. I'm going to record it. And at the next gathering, I'm going to show it to everybody. And then I'm going to ask if there's any more questions or if we're going to keep playing this game any longer or are we done? Are you guys ready to accept? Right. You ready to accept who's who? Or do I have to keep making sandwiches? By the way, that's your brother you're eating right now. That's Jamal Khashoggi stew. Oh, you thought that was goat? No, that's your brother you're having. Yeah. You guys want to keep playing this game? They cut him up and walked out of there with plastic bags of his body. I mean, of that's course. The whole thing. Yeah, they I throw it right in the thing. freezer and go make a stew, feed the cousins, show them the video, and then let them know, yeah, you just ate your brother. Hey, isn't that great? I'm going to kill every last one of you. You keep this up. And I'm going to use the deli slicer, just like we used on your brother Jamal here. I'd have filmed it too. They tried to kill MBS at the Four Seasons. He's staying three fours up from Stephen Paddock. Jamal Khashoggi plans it with Bin Tawal. Bin Tawal hasn't been back in the United States since. In six and a half years, he took his passport away. He's not coming back. So Bin Tawal owns the Four Seasons, 45% of it at the time. He since has had to liquidate some of it to Bill Gates, who now owns 75%. And MBS basically puts the squeeze on Awalid and says, yeah, basically Kingdom Holdings is now my company. And you can still be the puppet. You can still go on TV. But all those assets, those are now mine. Wow. Billions. Tens of billions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, you know that the Kingdom Tower in Riyadh is, you know, spectacular, right? This is the Awalid building in Riyadh is the the showcase building in Riyadh. It's the Kingdom Tower. And basically, MBS says, yeah, that's mine. You you, you know, uh, unless you want to, you know, if you want to argue with me, you don't want to argue with me, do you? You don't want to meet the deli slicer. Right. It's incredible. I would have sliced him up. I mean, I would have set the thing on thin. And I would have cut him up one slice at a time. And it is incredible. It's a known fact that when the Saudi royal family really travels anywhere, they go to the nicest hotels and they just rent out the entire hotel. That's like right. they'll rent out eight stories, 20 stories, whatever. And bring in their whole retinue security. Now think stuff. about it. Now think about it from a counterintelligence perspective. Awalid bin Tawal says to Muhammad bin Salman, I want, I insist, 
take the wife and kids, go to the Four Seasons in Vegas. You know why? Because October 1st is Ashura. And Ashura is the Muslim equivalent of Passover, where we tell the story of Moses. Believe it or not, the, 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 the Muslims are into the whole Old Testament stuff. So the whole story with Moses and Egypt, they were on board with a lot of stuff. That's right. part of the something thing. Different, like right. Egypt it just has a different name. name. Right. So yeah. they just call it Ashura. And so it has different names, but it's the same story. It's the story of Egypt and Moses leaves Egypt and the all that whole stuff. So Awalid bin Talal says to Muhammad bin Salman, it's the story of Exodus. And I've got a I've got a pyramid out the window for you and a Sphinx. Doesn't get better than that for the kids. Bring the wife and kids. I got a pyramid outside the Luxor and the Sphinx outside the window. What better to tell the kids the story of Exodus, right? You're going to tell the story of Exodus and Moses and the whole thing. What better than having a pyramid and a Sphinx outside the window? I insist. I'm going to, in fact, let me just give you the whole wing. You just take, take, you know, 35, 36, 37, 38, take the whole thing, bring the whole entourage. It's a gift from me. Salam Aleichem. That's how they put MBS there. Now they know he's going to be there. He gives it to him. He says, you know, you got it. it, it I insist. You bring the wife and kids. It's a Shura. Most right. people don't know that October 1st, 2017 was a Shura. And that there is significance that the Luxor and the Sphinx is outside. There absolutely is significance to that. But most people didn't look up the calendar and see, you know, well, what is the holiday? It's a Shura. So if you were invited to a Shura dinner by MBS at the Four Seasons in Las Vegas, that's a hell of an invite. Who do you think MBS might invite to join him for a Shura dinner at the Four Seasons in Las Vegas? Who might he invite if he's in the maybe, United States? Maybe Ben Talal, somebody who's here, Bandar Bush or somebody like that. Mm, who, who are some of his closest American friends? MBS. I don't know offhand. I don't know. Who are... Who, who, who is he famously friendly with to the tune of $2 billion? Oh, Jared Kushner. Ah, so if MBS said to Jared, hey, listen, I'm going to be out there with my wife and kids. Why don't you and Ivanka come out and meet me at the Four Seasons? Awalid bin Talal gets to put a stake in the heart of Donald Trump if he kills his daughter, if he kills his son-in-law. Was Jake was Jared Kushner at the Four Seasons that night? Was Ivanka? Because Ivanka drops out of politics immediately after this. She'd been traveling the world with Daddy. She goes to the G20. She's meeting everybody to the point. William, I thought he was setting her up to be the next generation dynasty. He's bringing her everywhere. And I'm like, this is brilliant because she's charming. She's delightful. Everybody loves Ivanka, and he's bringing her everywhere, kind of as a shield. After the Vegas shooting, she's out. She's never seen again on the public stage in a meaningful way. She doesn't go to any of the events. She's out. And recently he said, yes, yeah, she's she's not in it. Her head's not in it anymore. Were she's they a there? Home, homemaker. She's a homemaker. What Were uh, they there? Right. So that's, I can't say they were, but I have a suspicion that Jared may have been there and that she may have been there as well. 
And so that would explain why Donald Trump said it's a sick, sick man. He's talking about Awalid bin Talal. He's not talking about Stephen Paddock. Stephen Paddock was dead at 7 o'clock at night. Stephen Paddock didn't shoot anybody. Stephen Paddock was the first guy to die. The commandos come in, and he says, hey, great to meet you guys. Looking forward to taking your shooting in the desert tomorrow. And they said, oh, salam alaikum, bang, you're dead. And now they get to work. They were going upstairs to kill MBS, and Stephen Paddock brought the arsenal. What guns he thought he was going to do gun buy? sales, right? He thought he was going to well, sell. Well, so so that's the thing. Again, I shoot. So when I saw this, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa gun sales. No, no, no. He thinks he's taking them to the desert shooting. He has a minivan in the garage. He thinks he's taking three or four guys to the desert shooting. And if you're taking four guys and three girls to the desert, 24 guns isn't too many guns. That's not too many guns. If I got four guests and I got three girls with me and we're going to go out to the desert shooting, 24 guns, that's not too many guns. That's three guns a guy. I got three ARs for each guy and I, I got one or two 308s. But guess what the LVMPD did not find in room 32135? Guess what they did not find? What? Didn't find any AK-47s. And you know what's weird about that? They found the whole suitcase of AK-47 magazines. You know what a pain in the ass it is to load an AK-47 magazine? I don't know if you've ever done that. No. So it takes 7.62 ammunition. It's a big round. You're loading a 30-round magazine. It takes a while. It's a pain in the ass. He's got an entire suitcase of them in the room, and one of the cops turns to one of the other cops and says, hey, there's a whole suitcase of AK mags. Well, where's the AK-47s? Why would you bring a whole suitcase of magazines for a weapon you don't have? Or did the real shooters take the AK-47s, because that's what they're most familiar with. They don't like AR-15s. They like AKs. And that's what they went upstairs with. And that's so the uh, that's like a really powerful bullet too, the seven six two, right? Just super. Strong. Oh man, yeah, that'll take your arm off. Yeah, yeah. At, at a short range, like if you shot somebody with that at fifty feet or something, you're gonna yeah. take their arm off. If Definitely. you hit them in the forearm, yeah, it's it it, it is a super and a very powerful. reliable gun. Like it's that's why they use it all over. Super, the world. super, but it's so powerful. That's the advantage of the AR-15 is it uses a smaller round that doesn't have as much recoil. The gun's not as heavy. But the round doesn't have the kind of impact. In other words, if you're shooting a two, two, three, five, five, six gun, you really don't want to shoot an elk with that. Like, but if you're shooting a, a an AK-47 with a seven six two, you could take an elk. You can take an elk with that. So there's the, it's like there's a difference in the in the kinetic energy that these rounds carry, and the, and the AK is much higher. And it's what these guys are used to. If you're a Saudi Arabian National Guard guy, you're used to AK-47s. And there's none left in the room when the cops show up. But there's a whole suitcase of magazines. What the hell is there a suitcase of magazines for AK-47s if there's no AK-47s? Oh, they took the AK-47s. <laughs> oh. Right. So the whole story of the cops and the gunfight with Paddock, all fiction. Yeah, Paddock was dead. However, however, Levi Hancock does fire his weapon once they breach the room he says, hands, bang, we hear a shot. So he discharges his weapon. The question is, who the hell is he shooting? 
I think he shot Stephen Paddock. I think he shot Stephen Paddock in the chest or he shot him in the mouth. So if he shot Stephen Paddock in the mouth, that would make a lot of sense. That's probably his primary target. Is he, He's aiming right here <clears throat> on the philtrum. If he shoots somebody here in the philtrum, you're going to sever uh, C1. You're going to, right? So you, you sever the spinal cord at C1 spinal and they're just, yeah, they're just gone. Yeah. So you're going to aim here. And that makes it look like Paddock committed suicide, doesn't it? <clears throat> he got shot in the mouth. I believe that possibly Levi Hancock had to shoot Stephen Paddock because if I'm the bad guy, if I'm the commando, I'm going to leave a little gift for the police. And the gift I'm going to leave for the police is I'm going to take the dead guy, the guy I just shot, right? Stephen Paddock lying on the floor. I just shot him, right? He's dead. I'm going to prop him up in a chair. I'm going to prop him up in a chair. Give me some tape. I'm going to tape him up and I'm going to stick an AR under his arm and I'm going to point it at the front door. The minute these guys come in, there's somebody with a gun pointing at them. If I prop a dead body up and I put an AR-15 under his arm pointing at you at the door and you barge in the door and there's a guy there with an AR-15 pointing, what are you going to do? You're going to shoot him in the mouth. And that's exactly what Levi Hancock did. He comes in, he goes, hands, bang. Now he realizes he just shot a dead guy. The guy was already dead. He has a bullet wound in his chest. So they've got to relocate the body because now there's blood all over the chair. The chair that he had been propped up in is never seen again. One of the things you don't notice with the photos are the things that are missing. There's only one chair in the photos, but the room comes with two. Where's the second chair? Oh, that's the chair he was propped up in that's got blood all over it. Nobody wanted you to see that chair, so they had to hide that chair. You never see that chair in any photograph, any of the video. It's gone. So strange things happen. But I've probably overwhelmed your audience. We've been going an hour and a half. So this is probably so much it's to It's a good time to end it up. Really interesting. Yeah. But people can go to your website and look into all of your materials. John E. Hoover. Yeah, that's on YouTube. Live. You got live show, you got videos. You got all exactly. that stuff. Do you have time for a few questions or you want to just wrap it up? Sure. No, we'll okay. take a couple of questions. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Ivana asks, is there an FBI connection with Vegas? So the FBI has to cover up Vegas. So the FBI, so, and, and the interesting twist here is there's a guy standing over the shoulder of Joe Lombardo. His name is Aaron Rouse. He's the special agent in charge in FBI in Vegas. He's the former head of counterintelligence at the FBI. So before they make him special agent in charge in Vegas, he's the head of counterintelligence. Then something happens, I think, Wednesday. So the shooting is Sunday night, October 1st. The second is Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday, there's a press conference, and Joe Lombardo is very upset. It looks like he's going to cry. Uh, he's really shaken. Aaron Rouse is at every one of these press conferences standing right next to Joe Lombardo. I believe what happened here is the LVMPD breaks into the room. Paddock gets shot in the face. They relocate his body on the floor back where there was already a blood stain. In other words, after the guys shot him, they leave him on the floor for a while. Before they leave, they prop him up in the chair. Well, now there's already blood all over the floor. So when the cops shoot him, they've got to put him back where the blood is. 
So they put them back on top of the blood stain, and that creates a second layer of coagulated blood on the carpet that a lot of people notice. And they say, well, why are there two layers of blood? Because they repositioned the body. They had to put them back down where there was already a blood stain and get rid of the chair. But the window isn't broken in the room. And this is when they realize, how could this guy be the shooter? A, if he's dead. B, the window is not broken. How do you shoot everybody at the concert across the street without a broken window? So at 1230 in the morning, somebody's camera, a guy who's doing a podcast behind his shoulder, picks up an explosion when it appears like the window in 32, 135 is being blown out after midnight. Now, if the LVMPD blew out the window after midnight to make it look like, okay, here's the shooter, okay? Because otherwise, he can't be the shooter if the window isn't broken. There's no brass on the floor, right? You'd expect to see a 1,000 rounds of spent brass. That's not on the floor. So they're looking at each other like, how's this the guy? This can't be the guy. But they need it to be the guy. Because the other option is, yeah, we uh, we waited about an hour to kick this guy's door in. And although he's got a lot of guns in his room, uh, it doesn't look like this is the guy. So we don't know what to tell you guys. Uh, stay safe out there. Let us know if you see anything strange. That's not the Vegas way. The Vegas way is lone gunman. We got our man. Everybody get back to the tables. Yeah. They had get a preset cover up. Yeah. We There's got no our guy. Get business lone back gunman. to business. Right away. Back to business. Right. Long gunman. We got him. He's dead. End of story. Nothing to see here. Get back to the tables. Yeah, shut up. So, ask too many questions. All right, but here's what happens. The FBI breaks the window. Then, uh, excuse me, the LVMPD breaks the window. Now, the FBI shows up. So this is the answer to your question. And the FBI says, so, uh, Joe Lombardo, what happened here? Oh, my God. What is the story? He goes, yeah, my guy, you know, they go upstairs, they bust the door in, they got the guy, he's on, you know, we got him. We, we, the whole thing is, you know, done. We got the guy. And Aaron Rouse from the FBI looks at Joe Lombardo and says, what the hell are you talking about? And Joe Lombardo looks at Aaron Rouse and says, well, what are you talking about? And Aaron Rouse says, this was an assassination attempt and there were five helicopters. This guy's been dead since seven o'clock. You just lied to the FBI, Sheriff Joe. You're my bitch now. You lied to the FBI. You're now going to do whatever I tell you, whenever I tell you. If I tell you to jump, you say how high. Do we understand each other? You lied to the FBI. You forged evidence at a crime scene? I own you. Are we clear? And that was the conversation between Aaron Rouse and Joe Lombardo. Wow, crazy. And then Matthew asks... Sorry, go ahead. Good question, though. That's a great question, uh, though. But Matthew asks... Go ahead. Matthew asks another question. Sorry. Here's another question. Has your research with Las Vegas 2017 only exposed a thread that is so much bigger? I'm not sure I understand. Has the research on Las Vegas in 2017 and then one more? I missed that part. That, that is only just so much bigger. 
has your research only exposed a thread that is just so much? I don't understand the only and the just part, but it, it, so yeah, I mean, the thread is it's an assassination attempt on MBS. Jamal Khashoggi helped plan it. That's why he was killed. And everything you've heard about MBS is basically wrong. Uh, he's not a ruthless guy. He simply, they tried to kill him. And so everything he did November 5th, Jamal Khashoggi is in retribution for what they did to him, which if you understood it, you'd, you'd be doing the same stuff. So that's sort of what I figured out there. Um, has John more info on Jared Kushner's connection to the Saudi killing and the payout he got from? Well, it's not really information. It's you have, you've got circumstantial evidence, right? All of a sudden MBS gives some sort of $2 billion line of credit to Jared Kushner. And everybody's like, whoa, whoa, where does that come from? That's a big thing. Imagine if in fact he was there that night and these guys went through this together. They escape an assassination attempt together. Do you know what kind of bond that is? You're in a safe house at one o'clock in the morning together. And these guys are trying to kill you and you got away. You're brothers for life. You're brothers for life. And if Jared did anything that MBS might've noticed that was special, 2 billion is just the beginning. These guys went through hell together. They were evacuated by Maverick helicopters at 10.13 p.m. We see Maverick helicopters take off with, on flight radar, seven aircraft. But one of our key eyewitnesses says, no, 14 aircraft returned. So seven couldn't have taken off. In other words, maybe every other aircraft had their transponder on. But there's no way it was only seven because 14 returned. He counted them. But two of them went south. Two of them don't return to Maverick. They head south and go to like a safe house or something like that, I imagine. And I imagine that was MBS, his wife, his kids, and possibly Jared and Ivanka, possibly. Again, that that's sort of the, the, uh, the part of the story I'm not certain about, but it explains things like the $2 billion investment. It explains Trump and him flying out there a couple of days yeah, later. The Abrahamic Accords, right? Abrahamic exactly. Accords. Yeah, the Abraham Accords. Um, so... Jared Kushner and MBS had one heck of a relationship. I mean, that probably the best ambassador between Saudi Arabia and America we've ever had. And I'm not a big Jared Kushner fan. Like, I don't like the guy, but it was effective. In other words, sometimes you need to be able to be objective enough to say, I, I don't necessarily like the guy, but he's effective at the job. Right. And if he's getting things done like the Abraham Accords, I don't need to have him at a barbecue. I don't need to like the guy. What the difference does that make? Um, why would MBS not have disclosed the Popeye Khashoggi rather than kill him? Uh, why would not job fire on the concert goers if MBS was the target? Okay. Two good questions. So it seems that people, leaders don't like to admit that people are trying to kill him, they don't like to admit these assassination attempts. Um, there was an assassination attempt of uh, Abdul Jaber in the United States, I think in Georgetown, and and uh, the U.S. intelligence apparatus blamed Iran. I don't think it was Iran. I think it was uh, factions from within the Saudi regime 
didn't like Abdul Jaber and wanted him out. I don't think the Iranians had anything to do with it. So they don't like to admit that somebody was trying to kill him. They, it, to them, it's like a sign of weakness is that there was an assassination attempt on him. So if he wants to keep that secret, well, now he can't really explain why he's killing Jamal Khashoggi. Right, because that then he's going to say, "Well, it's because he planned the Las Vegas shooting," and everybody's like, "What? There's no connection between that, right? Nobody connects those dots at all." So he doesn't want to get into that. As far as he's concerned, he solved the problem his way, and the problem is solved. So he doesn't need to get into it. Why would the nut job fire on the concert goers if MBS was the target so the nut job there's multiple helicopters there are multiple shooters in helicopters and shooters on the ground so there's both so you've got <clears throat> a lot of people with guns running around um, but the key thing are the helicopters and the reason the helicopters are key if you've got shooters on the ground running around that could be the bloods and the crips are having a battle at the country music festival so what, right? You got Bloods and Crips and everybody's shooting at each other at a festival. As soon as you introduce helicopters, we get a real short list of who could be in the helicopter. In other words, the Bloods and the Crips are not in the helicopters, right? ISIS can't fly. Some people think this was ISIS. Uh, Congressman, what's his name? It's not Tim Scott, something Scott, something... Uh, said he heard that guys came over the border and was ISIS. I'm like, yeah. And then where did they get the helicopters? The Sang is training in the helicopters, right? So if there's guys in the Sang who are loyal to the older regime and think that a 31-year-old shouldn't be crown prince and they're offered $100,000 or a Rolls Royce to participate in this because they're probably going to die, I think that's what happened here. So the reason they fire on the concert goers is that the fuel tank didn't explode. It looks like they shot at that uh, jet fuel tank with something called a Ralphus zirconium tipped round, which is um, an incendiary round that can ignite jet fuel, kerosene, and diesel. So it's called the zirconium tipped Ralphus incendiary round and that in 50 caliber appears to be what was fired at the fuel tanks and it didn't go it didn't blow they were trying to i mean this was going to look like a michael mann movie this was like die hard they were going to blow up a fuel tank this was going to be spectacular and the tank doesn't go so now you need bedlam because what they're trying to do is trigger the exfiltration protocol. The exfiltration protocol is when MBS's security team says, sir, we need to go now. And they grab him, they grab the wife, they grab the kids, and they get out to the motorcade and they escape, right? So at some point, his team is going to say that. The people who plan it are the former heads of the GIP and the SANG. They know exactly what the exfiltration protocols are. So if there's a if there's a massive thing going on outside and people are getting shot and there's sirens and there's ambulances and screaming and blood and everything, oh my God, there's dead people out the window. Sir, we gotta go. So right. they're trying know. to flush them out. They're just trying to flush them out. It's as simple as that. Right. And they're in the building too. So they're in the building. That's who killed Stephen Paddock. 
Stephen Paddock didn't shoot himself in the mouth. Stephen Paddock was killed at hello. He thinks he's taking guys shooting to the desert. The girls set him up with a honeypot. He thinks he's got four high rollers coming in. They all drive Ferraris and Lamborghinis. They carry 50 grand in their pockets and cash. And they want to go shooting in the desert. And they might offer you 10 or 20 grand for a rifle or two, which is perfectly legal, by the way, as long as these guys aren't felons. So Stephen Paddock says, yeah, for 50 grand, I'll take these guys out to the desert shooting, right? $50,000 a day, little picnic out in the desert. That's what he thinks he's doing. These guys come up to the suite to say, hi, cocktails, let's have dinner together. Hey, I'm Stephen. Great to meet you guys. Bang, he's dead. He served his purpose. He brought 24 guns plus AK-47s, all that ammo up to that suite. They now have an armory. They load up, grab the AK-47s, and head up the stairs to the Four Seasons. And as they're preparing, Jesus Campos comes wandering down the hallway because DJ Silver's babysitter, Aunt Mary, left the door ajar. So Aunt Mary leaves DJ Silver's door ajar. The door ajar alarm goes off in security. They send Jesus Campos up. These guys have already set up the cameras. They see Jesus Campos coming towards the door, and they shoot through the door at Jesus Campos. He gets hit in the leg. That's pretty much what happens. And then they go upstairs, and they're looking for MBS. They're trying to kill MBS in the Four Seasons. How so long did you guys... Did you guys hear a lot about the Four Seasons in the news? Did they mention, yeah, and at the Four no. Seasons? Oh, the no. guests really concerned. You know, we had... Blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, so that appears to be... Yeah, and that's the Mandalay Bay is designed like that. The bottom is the Mandalay Bay. The top right, is the Four yeah. Seasons with a... Right, so that's that why they the concert goes. The idea is you create bedlam outside so that MBS's security team will get him to leave the hotel. And these guys are Al-Qaeda. Right the, to them, shooting women in hot pants and cowboy boots—you uh, know—that that's to them. Those are heathens, right? That's you're supposed the to have infidel, your head covered. The yeah. Well, yeah, you're supposed to have your head covered. So to them, these these women are spiting God in the hot pants and the cowboy boots. So so they think they're doing God. This is how they're raised. They think they're doing God's work, shooting women in the head. They're raised that way. And that's the really the interesting thing that you know that the shots didn't all come from Mandalay Bay is because some of them were shot from a trajectory that came almost straight down. Like there well, was that's one of my videos. From different yeah, that's one of my videos. Yes, that's one that you probably saw of mine, didn't realize it was mine. So yeah, I, oh, broke, I'm sure, I'm sure it was, yeah. I broke the the um the autopsies. Nobody had the autopsies. I got them from somebody at Fox who said you can probably do more with this than I can. And I did a series, you see, it's all on the channel, where I create the drawings because the, the coroners didn't do the trajectory drawings and usually use trajectory rods and the drawings, of the, they didn't do any of that. So I did it. And we see shots that come straight down the vertex and too many people just shot right in the forehead. So those shots were not from uh, the helicopters. You get too many people shot 
dead center in the forehand. Right. So and there's another precision shooting, right? Not just yeah, like correct, correct. Right. So somebody has taken them out. Somebody's taken people out. And that's got to be ground based shooter. So yeah, there were multiple shooters here, but it's the shooters in the helicopters that change the whole narrative. In other words, again, that that can't just be gang warfare. Right? This wasn't just a shootout between the good guys and the bad guys or something. There's more to it. And it and seems the like there was distractions in other part of the LV too, Las Vegas. Like there were other reports and places. Right. And so if you and I had been contracted, right? You and I had been contracted to do this. Let's say, right? You and I are up in the helicopter. Okay, you're flying it, and I'm shooting out the window. Okay, I'm hanging out the side with the with the window washer strap, and you're flying it. I'm going to say to you, William, head up to the Bellagio. Let's take out a couple windows up there so the LVMPD doesn't know what the hell's going on. We'll go fly up there. It's 30 seconds away. It's 30 seconds. You're going 90 miles an hour. You hit the stick. We head up to the Bellagio. Bang, bang, bang. I take out a couple windows at the Bellagio. Okay, now head back. And 30 seconds later, we're back at the venue. I can take I can take shots up and down Las Vegas Boulevard, and now the Las Vegas Police Department. Where we got shots here, we got shots there, we got shots at this place, we got shots at that place, and everybody's thinking linearly. Everybody's thinking terrestrial based, and you and I are just flying up and down the boulevard shooting at shit. Right, doesn't get all easier. Doesn't get easier than that, right? I, I can't take a shot. Which, yeah, I can't remember which casino it was, but there was video footage of like security with one guy, Arabic guy, and they were hustling him out. I don't know who it was, but I remember yeah. that one. Like it yeah. was almost like what they were trying to do with Khashoggi. Bodyguards getting somebody out to a very fancy mm -hmm. car. Yeah. 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 John, I got to so run. Uh, thanks so much for your time, all your info. Thanks Pleasure. for all your great research. People can see it. The best place is the YouTube channel right here. John E. Yeah. Hoover, correct? That's right. And I'm very active on Twitter. Research. You're very active on Twitter. You guys can follow me on Twitter at, at I underscore M underscore John Cullen, C-U-L-L-E-N on Twitter. Very active there. Just got into a little tiff with uh, Bob Malone, so you guys can catch up on that. And, uh, again, I'm incredibly grateful that you had me on the show. Well, Thank thanks you. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. I appreciate your other, the other interviews I learned so much. I never would have made that connection to MBS or anything, but. I think that you're on point that something really intense happened. And a lot of intense stuff happened in Saudi Arabia. That's the whole thing. But oh, yeah. uh, John Cullen, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank Thanks. you so much. Great to be right, here. Stay there. Stay there. Stay there.